We're back to the book of Kings, and we're up to chapter 17 this morning. Our series is called The King of Kings in the Books of Kings. And we've been learning a lot over the last ten messages in this series about the kings of Israel, both good and bad. More bad than good, I'm afraid. When these kings are at their best, they remind us of Jesus. And when they're at their worst, they remind us why we need Jesus. We've already learned so far about 13 kings in both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Abijah, Asa, Nadab, Baasha, Elah, Zimri, Tibni, if you count him, Omri, and last and worst so far, Ahab. A few of these kings were thumbs up guys, right? At least for part of their life. But most of them were two thumbs down in the eyes of the Lord. Now this morning we start a new section of 1 Kings. It's a little different from what we've seen so far. Today the focus shifts a little off of the kings for a while and onto a prophet who bursts onto the scene with absolutely no warning, no lead up. He's just there. And his name is Elijah. A pretty significant character in your Old Testament. This chapter, 1 Kings 17, is where Elijah comes into the storyline of the Bible. And I was sorely tempted to title this sermon, The Days of Elijah, Part 1. But I didn't. Because 1 Kings 17 is not at its deepest about a prophet or a priest or a king. It's about the Lord. The Lord is the main character of the books of Kings, and He is the main person whom we will encounter today in 1 Kings 17. So I actually took my title from a little phrase in verse 1, where Elijah says that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, lives. Here's our title. The Lord lives. Yahweh lives. The God whom the Bible calls Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of David and Solomon. The God over Israel and Judah. Capital L-O-R-D. That God lives. And by that I mean He exists. The Lord is real. That was another one of my potential titles for this message. The Lord is real. He is not fake. He is not just a myth or a story or make-believe or a made-up fairy tale. The Lord lives. Now, you've all come to church this morning, so I could probably guess you already believe that. Maybe you don't need this message. The Lord lives. Amen? Amen. The Lord exists. And, And not just like a rock exists. He's alive. He's personal. He's relatable. And He's true. The Lord lives. We believe that. Or at least we say we do. But there was a real question about it in Elijah's day. Idol worship had crept into Israel. Idol. I-D-O-L. Not I-D-L-E. Not like they're just sitting around, not worshiping. But they were worshiping false gods. Remember Solomon fell for it. And then his son did in the south. And they fell for idolatry even worse in the north. Jeroboam set up those golden calves at Bethel and Dan. Remember? 
He set up a whole invented religion. At least a new way of doing the old. It was completely, completely invented by himself. And then it got worse. Because instead of just falsely worshiping Yahweh, they began to introduce other gods. And the worst at it so far in our story is the last king we met last time. King Ahab of Israel. Ahab was not an Arab. He was a Jew. The king of the Jews. But he worshipped a god named Baal. Or some people would say Baal. Remember this? Chapter 16, verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. You hearing a key word here? Baal, Baal, Baal. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel did before him. Four thumbs down. Bad job, Ahab. Ahab acted as if Yahweh did not exist. He treated the Lord with contempt and he set up worship of this other god, Baal, in Israel. What do you think God's going to do? Is God going to take that lying down? Is he just going to let it go? How does God feel about his glory? Oh, I don't care if it goes to another. Is that, how the, is that how it goes? I will not let my glory go to another. The true God will not take this lying down. And so he sends Elijah, chapter 17, verse 1. Remember, there are no chapter breaks in the original. Right after it says this, Elijah Lands on the scene. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Would you pray with me as we dive into 1 Kings 17? How great is your love, O Lord. We believe in an awesome God. In wisdom, power, and love. Where every good gift comes from you. We say, Alleluia, Alleluia, praise Yahweh. Because you are awesome above the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O Lord, and show us that you live. Thank you for giving us this word to get it, to see it. And to see what difference it makes for our lives. Would you do that, Lord? Help us to get it this morning. To see it. To feel it in our bones. To believe it. And to live off of this truth. That Yahweh lives. We pray it in the name of Yahweh's one and only Son, Jesus. Amen. Elijah just comes out of nowhere, doesn't he? I mean, you didn't expect him. And all of a sudden, boom, there he is. There he is talking to Ahab. How did he get into Ahab's court? How did this, all this happen? We don't know. We aren't told. Because more important than who he is and where he comes from is this message he has to present. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few... What's the next word? Years? Except at my word. Wow. This guy means business. 
And that's because the Lord lives, and He means business. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, Elijah says, I'm a servant of, I'm a servant of Yahweh, and He's alive. And because of that, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except when I say so. Have you ever heard the phrase, shots fired? These are the opening shots in a great battle in Israel. Uh, Here's another title I almost gave this sermon. The Battle of Baal, Part 1. Because Elijah, in making this declaration, is taking a huge swipe at Baal. Do you know what Baal was the god of in, the, in, this, in their Parthenon of gods? The Canaanite, Phoenician, Parthenon of gods. Baal was the god of rain. He was, the god, he was the rain god, the maker of the rain, the god of fertility, the god of life, they would say. You know, if you want your crops to do well, you start worshiping Baal. So your crops, so you get some rain and your crops grow up and it's fertility all around. So what was Yahweh saying by sending Elijah with this message? I'm turning the faucet off. That's what he's saying. And if your God, Baal, is for real, he could turn the faucet back on again. That's what's going on here. The Lord promised this back in Deuteronomy. He said in Deuteronomy chapters 11 and 28 that if Israel abandoned their covenant with Yahweh, he would withhold the rain. And now he's making good on that threat. How devastating this would be for the inhabitants of this land. No rain in Israel. No life-giving dew. It's already arid before this. Whatever they can find just trickling in or what they'd have to transport from other lands for years. The Lord lives. Elijah had to say this up front or they wouldn't have known that it was Yahweh. They might have said it was coincidence or just tried harder to get Baal to do his thing. Come on, Baal, come on, let's go. But before the rain started, before the rains stopped, Elijah had said they would. And everybody suffered. Because that's what happens when people give in to idolatry. People suffer. People get hurt. Idolatry always leads to death. Idols promise life and blessing, but they always bring trouble and death. Think about it. The idols you're tempted to worship, they promise all a lot, don't they? They promise life and blessing, but they lead to trouble and death. So now Elijah's in trouble. He's made, you know, shots are fired, the war has begun, and Ahab doesn't like what Elijah has to say. In fact, we find out later he put out a hit on Elijah and any other prophets of Yahweh. They got a very big target on their back. So the Lord placed Elijah in his own special witness protection program. Look at verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Crazy story, huh? This is what Kings is like. Kings is such a crazy book. And whenever these prophets come on the scene, 
Prophesying for Yahweh, you never know what's going to happen. Okay? So here, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Remember that phrase from a couple weeks ago? The word of the Lord. Very important phrase in this book. When the word of the Lord comes, it should be listened to and believed and obeyed because it always comes to pass. The Lord who lives also speaks. And here the Lord speaks, hide. Hide. Hide in this ravine where there would normally be no food and in drought conditions there would normally be no water. But I'll make sure that there's water in the brook and I'll send ravens to bring you food twice a day. Ravens. Those things are unclean. You know, the first thing that the Jews, the first thing that Elijah would have thought would be like, ravens? Ooh, the Lord's going to use them? What kind of meat would they bring twice a day in ravine service, right? Ravine service, here's the raven dropping off the little package of meat. I doubt it's a package of meat. Kind of gross when you think about it. But the world, the, the, the whole inhabitants of the nation are dying. There's drought conditions all around. And he gets fed twice a day with bread and meat. If he cooks it, it'll keep him alive. Don't rely on Baal. Rely on the Lord because he's real. He's alive. Yahweh lives. He tells the birds what to do. Just think about that. He tells the birds what to do. Here's application point number one of three this morning. Because the Lord lives. Don't worry. He tells the birds what to do. You need to hear that this morning? Don't worry. I know I do. There is so much in life right now that tempts me to worry, to grow anxious. We all have our list, right? When you wake up in the morning, it's sitting there, right? First thing scrolls down in front of your face. Start to go over that list in your head. I got my list, you've got yours. What are you worried about right now? What's at the top of your list? Here's the word of the Lord to us today Yahweh lives. God is real. And He's able to protect and provide and sustain in amazing ways, ways you never thought would ever happen. If we trust Him, don't worry. If God still has a job for you to do, then He will sustain you until that job is over. Elijah was on a mission, and he was indestructible until that mission was over. Are you and I on a mission? What did the challenge kids tell us last week? That we are a family of servant missionaries. Living sent on a mission. The Lord will take care of us. Don't worry. I know that's hard to do. Worry is my superpower. I come by it naturally. I'm the son of a worrier and the grandson of a worrier. Not a warrior, but a worrier. But God can send ravens to take care of me if he wants to. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up 
because there had been no rain in the land, just like the Lord said. And now he's got another plan for him. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now this is even crazier. I mean that. It's crazier than the ravens feeding him. Where is Zarephath? In Sidon. That's Baal territory. That's where Ethbaal is from. That's where Jezebel is from. Go to the hometown of this wicked queen, or the homeland of this wicked queen. Go over there, because I live there too. And I'm going to take care of you in Balesville. You're a hunted man. I want you to go directly into the heart of this hunted territory. I've got someone who's going to take care of you there. Okay, who is it? It's a widow. What? Are widows in your Bible people with money? People with means that people with the stuff to give? No, this is not like the widow in Huck Finn, right? With lots of money. Widows in the Bible are often destitute and needy. They are the most unlikely benefactresses. But of course, if the Lord lives and He has a plan, go and find this widow woman and I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Elijah, don't worry. I've got a plan. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Aha, he says, a widow. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. He's very forward, isn't he? He's trusting He's trusting the word of the Lord. But uh, he may have come to the wrong woman. Verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives. That's interesting, isn't it? She replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. The cupboards are bare. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. That we may eat it. And die. What an incredibly sad story. This woman is gathering firewood to heat their last supper. She's got nothing to offer. This is the bitter end. But Elijah knows that the Lord lives. And therefore she should not worry. Verse 13, what does she say? What does he say? Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, make a small cake of bread for me. (laughs) What chutzpah, right? From what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. Here's, Here's why. For this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day Yahweh gives rain on the land. What a promise. And that's exactly what happened. Why? Because the Lord lives. Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. What do I have to lose? So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by 
Elijah. The Lord lives. And when He speaks, it comes to pass. What do we have to worry about? I love this miracle because it's a daily miracle. You know, it's a quiet miracle. This woman didn't get a truckload of food. Beep, beep, beep. Hello, delivery for the widow woman. The Lord, sign here, the Lord wants you to have all this food. No, instead, how much did she get? A little bit. Every day. Every single day. Until the rain finally came. God's mercies were new every morning. Sound familiar? Every day, the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry. It wasn't like it was just topped over and there was flour all over the place. And the oil was just pouring out of a spigot. It was every day she goes to the jar and, yep, there's enough for today. We can eat another day. Oh yeah, I'll put a little oil in that. If you find some sticks, we'll add to the fire. We're going to have some bread today. That's a mega miracle. But it's also the kind of thing we experience all the time as Christians. God's daily faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Don't worry. And number two, don't miss out. What do I mean by that? I mean, isn't it strange that the Lord sent Elijah out of the country to get this help? I mean, weren't there any widows in Israel that he could have used? Why did Elijah have to leave Israel for this miracle? That's what Jesus asked in Luke chapter 4 when he talked about this passage of Scripture. Jesus was in Nazareth, his hometown. He was preaching in the local synagogue. It's like Hunter coming back and preaching here, right? Except they weren't listening. We'll do a lot better job of listening when Hunter preaches. They weren't listening to, to Jesus preach. They liked what he said about the day of the Lord coming, but they sure didn't like it when he brought up this story from 1 Kings 17. He said, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Do you know what that synagogue, you know how they took that? Anybody know? What, what did they do? They tried to kill him. Right then and there, they, they tried to kill Jesus. They got, they got up, and they chased him out, and they tried to push him off a cliff. He just walked right through them and went on with his ministry because he's Jesus. But they were so furious. Why were they mad? He's just asking a question, right? It's because the Lord who lives is gracious to those who will trust him but he'll also pass over those who should trust him, but don't. They were mad because Jesus was going to save Gentiles. Like you and me. He was going to allow Jews to die in their sins if they ignored and rejected him. Don't miss out. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. The Lord lives. Let me say this in in strong terms so you can hear me. 
There will be many good, upstanding, moral, religious people who will perish on the day of the Lord because they have not received the Lord Jesus. Don't miss out. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm not asking, are you a good citizen? Do you pay your taxes? Do you obey the law? Do you volunteer in your community? I'm asking, is Jesus Christ your master and rescuer? There are many widows in Israel at this time. And they were, by and large, rejecting Yahweh. So God went out and found an unlikely candidate to shower His mercy upon. There will be current members of ISIS in heaven and current members of the EFCA churches in hell. Because God doesn't save based on niceness. He saves based on our reception or rejection of Jesus. There are some in ISIS who will truly repent like the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus. And there are some, I'm sure, but hopefully not many, who look good on the outside but have not repented and received Jesus on the inside here in our nice American churches. Don't miss out. The letter to the Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This widow did not miss out. She trusted in the living Lord. And then she had an unexpected tragedy. Do you see this coming? Her son died. Some time ago, her husband died. And that was about the worst thing that could have happened to her economically. Now, her son dies, which is probably the reason she had kept living so long. Verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? What good is it to have this flour and this oil during this drought if I don't have a living son to feed it to? Is God just messing with me? You ever felt that way? Well, it could just end there. And God be justified. Because Yahweh gives and Yahweh takes away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. But there was more going on here. Verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And he cried out to Yahweh, Oh, Yahweh, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? The stakes are so high. Have you ever prayed like this? Not for a dead person to come back, but honestly crying out to God from the depths of your heart and asking God to do something, something big, desperate prayer. Verse 21. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to Yahweh, Oh, Yahweh, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. 
Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you're a man of God and that the word of Yahweh from your mouth is the truth. Can you imagine that moment? I don't know why he laid himself out on the boy three times. A lot of times in the Old Testament, the prophets acted out their prophecy. So he's probably acting out the prayer. He's identifying his life for the boy's life and pleading with God for the boy's life. And I love what verse 22 says. Yahweh heard Elijah's cry. Yahweh not only speaks, but he hears. He's alive. Dead things don't hear. Dead gods don't hear. False gods don't hear. Real gods hear. Living gods listen. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Point three of three this morning. Don't despair. Don't give up. Because the living God can Bring back the dead. He's more powerful than death. You know, Baal supposedly died a little every year. Their story, the the Baal worshippers' story, was that the rainy season would end because Baal would meet up with the god of death named Mot and give in to him. So when Baal meets Mot, Baal has to give up. So the rainy season then would return when Baal would start up his work again. It's very convenient. You know, you got, you got these little stories to kind of explain everything, right? So Baal meets up with Mott. Mott says, hey, I'm stronger than you. Baal has to quit. The rain stop. A little bit later, Mott says, okay, you can go again. Baal does his thing and there's more rain. There's nothing Baal could do about Mott. Mott was more powerful than Baal. Baal had to yield to death. But death is not more powerful than Yahweh. Yahweh is more powerful than death. Amen? This little resuscitation was just a foretaste of the resurrection. Don't despair. If you read the news, it's very tempting to despair. Right? You look at the news and you think, what's this world coming to? I'll tell you what the world is coming to. It's coming to the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. Yahweh lives forever and so will you and I if we belong to Him. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I am the living one. I was dead. Mott came knocking at my door. I said, okay, do your worst. He says, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Believe it, friends. Don't despair. Even of death, believe the word of the Lord. This Gentile widow did. She saw it with her own eyes. Verse 24 tells us she believed that Elijah is telling the truth and giving out the word of the Lord. You know what's sad is that pretty much all of Israel did not believe. We're going to see that next week. 
when we head up for this showdown on Mount Carmel. Because there's still no water, there's still no rain. At the end of the day, at the end of our story today, God is still showing that He is more powerful than Baal. More powerful even than death. So don't give up. Don't despair. Don't pull your hair out in worry and fright and desperation and lose hope. Yes, there's trouble and terror in our world. And even terrible death. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And He's even overcome death. The Lord lives.